Whenever you're going through something with your own body, like nobody else can go through it but yourself. So I have to make that decision for myself and I can't allow other people's opinion to make me act in any other way than how I want to be acting. Katie, Katie, let it out. everyone, welcome back to Let It Out with me, Katie Delbout, and today on the podcast I have Lynn Chin of The Actor's Diet, and I'm going to get into that conversation so quickly. I'm sitting here with friend of the podcast, Abby Moore. You might remember her from last season. Say hi. Hi. She's visiting me tonight. She's about to shoot a wedding tomorrow, and we're heading to dinner, so you know that this podcast intro has to be super short. (laughs) So we're going to get right into it. This is a very tangential conversation. We talk about food and body image per usual. We also talk about acting. She gives tips for young actors. We talk about creativity and feeling like you're a jack of all trades and master of none because that's how I feel most of the time. So, of course, I bring that up. And Lynn is just a really cool, interesting, fascinating person that I got to meet in L.A. a couple months ago when I was there for my book launch. And we got this amazing restaurant called Squirrel together, which if you're in L.A., you must go to. It was fantastic. Anyway, I'm going to get into this episode. If you want to support the show, if you find value in it, if it makes you feel less alone, if you enjoy listening to it, if it entertains you, if it keeps you company on your commute or while you're cleaning the house... When do you listen, Abby? Uh, mostly when I'm working. When you're working? If or it keeps you company? Not to work. There you go. When you're procrastinating. <laughs> if you want to support the show, what do you do? What do you do, Abby? Um, uh, you write a review on iTunes. Sure do. You make sure to hit that subscribe button. It's just like giving the show a high five. And you tell all your friends. You got it. Those are all the things that you do. And you can also sign up for the newsletter because that's how you'll know about new episodes, bonus episodes. And I've just been using the newsletter in a new way. Do you get my newsletter? It's so good. You like it? Every, it's I better like now. it so much. Yeah. It's not on a schedule, is it? No, because it should be, but I haven't been able to stick to one. <laughs> but I'm not on a schedule either, so it's yeah. perfect. Yeah, I'm thinking Fridays because I like Fridays the best. Anyway, we'll see. It'll be in your inbox if you sign up. And I love you guys. You're really awesome. If you want to support the show, you can also donate, and that's a fantastic way to do it, so I can keep doing it. And if you don't want to spend anything extra, you can also shop through the Amazon link. Amazon sends the podcast a little bit of pennies, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So shop through the Amazon link, send it to a friend, enjoy this episode with Lin Chen. Goodbye! Bye! Welcome to Lin Chen. She is an actress, a blogger, a video maker, a foodie, an advocate for eating disorder awareness, um, and just a really cool person. So shout out to Jessica Mernan who connected us. And yes, we were chatting before this. We had a great time meeting in person, which was so cool. And I, I just recently 
found out about your work through Jess and I'm so glad that I did and everyone who I've talked to since then has been like oh my god Lin Chen Dr. Sai I've been I've been following that for years and I was like oh my god where have I been like under a rock so anyway I'm so glad you're here on the podcast thank you for having me that's so nice I'm like have chills that's the sweetest thing ever best intro ever oh good well yeah I I mean every word um so gosh we have I have so much I have copious notes that I've written down things that I want to chat about but we'll just kind of go all over the place Uh, let's start with you were a child actor and you basically like started performing in the womb since your mom was a performer and an opera singer so can we talk a little bit about that and what it was like to have a mom who was a professional performer and, you know, your work as a performer when you were really young? Yeah. I mean, so my mom was a member of the Metropolitan Opera House Ladies Chorus, and she was sort of a trailblazer herself. She, I, I mean, this isn't official, but I'm pretty sure she was the first Asian American woman to do so. And so growing up at the Metropolitan Opera House was just this experience that, you know, at the time I didn't know of it as anything else other than my reality. But looking back at it, I see how special it was. I mean, I was growing up around very talented people, um, you know, at the Met, the value of the theatrical value is so, so high. You know, everything is the best when they have a velour, I mean, not a velour, a velvet dress um, for for people. It's an actual velvet dress that's actually heavy. And when they have jewels, they're actual jewels. And it's something, like I remember when I was a kid and I used to sing with her um, on stage there were times where, like in La Boheme, they gave us bagels. <laughs> and I would walk around eating my bagels. Of course, even back then, I was obsessed with the food part of things. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was just a really magical place to grow up, just constantly surrounded by music. And to this day, whenever I hear an orchestra uh, warming up, and when I hear the uh, concertmaster tuning everyone to the A, I get like this warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Mm. Isn't it funny how music or smells do that for me too? And even food can be so nostalgic and like take you right back to a moment in time. Yeah, absolutely. I was just at my old summer camp this past week in Maine and it's a music camp and being immersed in those sounds, but also the specific smells of summer in Maine was just really, um, it brought me back. Like I had all these memories that I didn't even know that I had buried within me. Feeling feelings. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's an interesting childhood and such a fascinating, um, place to grow up and just so cool and interesting. So then from there, did you know at a young age that you wanted to pursue acting and performing professionally? What were you like in high school and as you got a little bit older? Well, it was sort of like um, when I was growing up and doing the acting thing, it was something that made me special, but also something that made me different. Like I had to leave school a lot to go rehearse and miss um, miss a lot of 
uh, parties and sleepovers and those sorts of things just because I was always performing. And at a certain point, I wanted to be quote unquote normal. And I asked to sort of be to let to let go of it a little bit. And my parents were fine with that. But the itch always came crawling back in the form of like the school play or, you know, I wanted to do commercials. So I went in and did that. But when I went to college, I've always I feel like my career for a really long time was always this like balance of like, I really love acting. I really feel like it's something that comes to me naturally. But what else can I do in my life? And I feel like that's still something that um, that holds true to me in my career in that acting has never acting and performing although i feel like i can't live without it i never i never have wanted it to become my life and when it has it's been dangerous for me mhm yeah i feel like that can kind of that's probably really really healthy and especially you know with acting because it's it's not like other performing in the sense of you have to audition and someone has to give you an opportunity to do your craft you can't really you know if you're a writer you can write any time of day no one has to give you permission to do it I guess they do to publish it sort of but now we have the internet and well I guess the internet has like broken a lot of those barriers for for actors as well because you can do that anytime but you do still need you know other people to collaborate with it's not as individual so it seems like a natural thing that you would have other outlets for your creative self you know and it's really cool that you do and something I was I was going to ask you about because I know this is something for me and I might have even like shared this with you when we hung out in LA but like I struggle or am struggling with right now that feeling of master of none right like I kind of feel like I'm jack jack of all trades trying out all these different things I'm sort of writing I'm sort of podcasting I'm sort of a lot of things but like what am I doing really well and what I I'm doing okay at these things however if I really immerse myself in one of them, what could I do? Did you ever feel, have you ever felt that way about having multiple different projects that you want to just like choose one and really focus in on that? Or I mean, I get looking at your life from an outsider, like you're killing it at all of them and in different ways. And so how do you manage that in yourself? Or do you ever get that feeling um, that I'm describing? Hopefully some of that makes sense. It makes complete and total sense. Of course, yes. I thank you for saying that. It sounds <laughs> looks like I'm killing it because a lot of the times I don't I don't feel that way, um, and I do completely relate to everything you just said about feeling like you just have your hand in every single jar and you don't know like what is happening. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I've noticed I've noticed that when I put like, like in this industry, it's not like something where you're a bread maker, for example, and you have like a tangible result that comes out of all your hard work. Like it's, it, there's like certain rules that, that come out of other, other creative outlets. But I feel like when it comes to the arts and performing and writing and I don't know, now podcasting, you know, all these other things, just the amount of work you put in does not 
necessarily mean that you're going to get the outcome you want. And it is a very frustrating reality. And I feel like because of that, I have had to learn to sort of what I call plant my garden and see what grows because I just naturally don't have a green thumb. So this analogy works well for me. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's it's like I can't – just because I follow the rules doesn't mean that my garden is going to grow the way I want it to. So I just sort of have to cultivate and give attention to whatever is calling me at the time. And it seems to balance itself out. Like the blog – and the podcast and doing the videos and the acting like whenever something demands my attention I give it to it and I can let the other I've I've made my life I've I've sort of made a life so that I can give one attention and it's okay if the other stuff doesn't you know I'm not nobody's like I don't have a boss who's going to yell at me because Um, I'm not paying as much attention to one of my blogs as much as I should be. Mm -hmm. And I purposefully have set it up that way because I don't want to be held accountable to one thing. Yeah. It sounds like you, to me, you've kind of made your life as a whole your masterpiece or your work of art, not just one particular project. And I think that, first of all, is really cool, but probably keeps things interesting you know like nobody can say that all the things that you're doing you're probably not bored a lot (laughs) basically no yeah and and you know the other thing is I think and I'm I'm sure we'll probably talk about this later but I um because I don't have kids and part of me not having kids is was me not being able to have kids and so trying to spin what felt like a loss to me into into something that was positive part of that came to this idea of freedom that Mm. I could make any decision I wanted because I didn't have the responsibility of another life to be responsible for. Yeah. So part of that is like, well, you know what, if, if that's going to happen and if I'm going to do that, then there's nobody, nobody's going to get hurt by this. And that is some, that is my my reality. Whereas like I see with so many of my friends, the sacrifices that they have to make because they have to. Right. And and I don't have to do that. And it's a life that I've chosen now. Yeah. What a cool reframe of that really difficult thing for you because I know I, I heard you speak about that topic and you were someone who really wanted to have kids from a yeah. really young age and then found out that you couldn't. So what a beautiful way of being able to reframe that in your life as – something positive and what you can create and have in your life despite of a circumstance out of your control. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really beautiful. So I guess getting a little bit back, um, the very tangential conversation as I prefer it, but getting a little bit back to, you know, when you kept kind of crawling back into acting, but when did you decide that you wanted to do it professionally? Like when you were in college, I know you said you switched your major. See, I definitely, I like know too much about you because I did my (laughs) research. But talk to us a little bit about college and performing and when you decided that you wanted to pursue acting. 
Well, in college, I so when I graduated from high school, I was so sure that I was going to be an actor, and I had planned to major in drama in college. And surprisingly, I got to school, and the first drama class I took, I really hated it. I just did not like the academic lens put on put on acting you know I, I did I I felt like it suddenly became work whereas it had like I had said before it came so easily it was just my world and suddenly it was like analyze it take it apart study the history of it and it just put me in my head in a way that it just was not um pleasurable anymore and I sort of had a crisis and didn't know what to do and I ended up dropping the the drama focus and I um I ended up being a woman studies music double major instead um but when I graduated from college it was it was for me like um I, I thought I was going to pursue acting again and suddenly the harsh reality of being an adult in um New York City trying to be an actor came crashing down on me and I realized that the rejection part of it was also extremely difficult. It was not coming easily to me and the not having money and not knowing what I was doing with my life was really weighing on me. So I immediately took a job at a school and I ended up working at that school for two years knowing full well that it was sucking my soul and that I did not enjoy it, but I was too scared to... Were you teaching? I was working as the assistant to um, a principal. So it was there was really no place I could go grow, you know? Like, it's not like I could become the principal. <laughs> Next, mm-hmm. that wasn't... There was no growth. So it was like... Um, I was teaching uh, acapella to their acapella students. So I was still creative in that way. But I... I also knew that like teaching wasn't, even though I was good at it, I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to be doing. I wanted to be performing. So at the end of the first two years, I decided to save up my money and and take a proper acting class. And I, and I did that. And shortly after a summer intensive of acting, which this time around I actually enjoyed, Um, I ended up pretty quickly booking my first job, which was on Law and Order, and uh, got my SAG card, the union card, and that was pretty much it. I just kept working after that, and it's it's been um, God, that was like 2000, so it's been 16 years now that I've been working professionally as an actor, but. I, I have to say, like every couple of years, I definitely go through this moment of step, like hitting the pause button and being like, what am I doing here? Because I feel like there's a baseline for most actors where they just, it's like, it's, it's a pure like desire to just be working and this gratitude for just like any line or, or any opportunity that comes your way. And this expectation that things will just you'll just keep building your resume and it'll keep growing but 
there's so much other stuff that comes in and I don't think anyone it's like different for everyone so I don't think anyone can really prepare you for it but it's something that I wish I had known it's something I wish that like somebody with a lot of experience had told me back in the day that like it's okay to go years without working and that it's okay that some years you'll audition like crazy and some years you won't get anything and it's okay to have your agents leave you and it's okay for you to leave your agents like all of these things end up happening but at the base of it it's still that like I still feel sometimes like that young actor who's just like just hire me please I just want to have the opportunity to work but then there's just so much other crap that goes into it and that's why I just feel like I have to have another outlet because Mm -hmm. sitting in that like please pick me please 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 desperation um is is just not a good place to sit in for a long time yeah I can I can imagine and I feel like you've set up your life in a way that really is best for that lifestyle to balance it because in your other projects you're very much the you're the boss you know you're the entrepreneur you're the host you're the curator you're the the writer you're choosing yourself when this other aspect of your life is so out of your control there's so much control in the other things that you do so that that makes a lot of sense with what you were talking about I you kind of already answered this question you must just be like psychic and knew I was going to ask (laughs) but um I wanted to know more about, you know, any advice you have for young actors, but I'd like to to lead into that. Take us back to when you wanted to move to L.A. and making that leap and what that move was like and some of your thoughts and feelings around that. When I decided to move to L.A., it was very clear that that was what should happen. Career-wise, I just finished my first movie that had done really well. Um, It was a movie called Saving Face. It went to Sundance and went to Toronto and a whole bunch of other film festivals. And that was your first feature, correct? Yes. That's so cool. It's so amazing. It was was really cool. And I had no idea at the time how special that was. Yeah. Um, And so when I had finished it, and it had done really well theatrically, and and still, like, to this day, I hear all the time from people who have seen the movie and and know that it means so much to them. Yeah. Um, After I finished that movie, I was, um, I was, I I had gotten better representation, so better opportunities were coming my way, and I was being flown out to L.A. a lot to test for, for pilots for for different networks and so you were living in New York I was living in New York but I had been flown out like one pilot season I had been flown out two times and I was also testing three and everyone just sort of told me actually my friend Daniel Day Kim who's a very successful actor himself he's from Lost and Hawaii Five-0 and he just finished playing the king and king and I and on Broadway wow very cool and and he told me, I remember, because I just met him because I was obsessed with Lost. So for the first time, I was like meeting people who I was yeah, <laughs> I was starstruck by, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they were giving me advice. And he told me, basically, he's like, Lynn, they're flying you out there. Just move out there. And they don't have to fly you. And you'll just book a show. It, the time has come. You've, I already had done not only Law & Order, but all of the Law & Order spinoffs. 
And I had done a year on All My Children, which was in a soap opera. And in New York at the time, there wasn't many other TV shows that were filming out there. So it was sort of like I had done it. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, just move out there. So my husband was really resistant. He had all these ideas about L.A. that um, – he just was like, I don't want to go there. And, you know, at the time we were still thinking about having kids. So he was like, I don't want to raise a family out there. But here's what we'll do. We'll have a five-year plan. And at the end of five years, if it's not going that going the way we want it to go, then we will move back to New York. So we moved out to L.A. And the first, I mean, like immediately, I, I was, I felt like I was in my element. Um because of the weather and I I think I booked actually the first audition I went out on which was for numbers but despite the sunny weather and despite the upward success I was probably at my worst with my eating disorder Um, it was it was this combination of fear of success and just an inability to deal with stress in any way other than turning to food. So I was really struggling with um, binge eating and in turn that would affect my weight, which in turn would affect my confidence, which in turn would affect um, the way I was going into rooms and also Um, like any rejection I faced, I would turn to food. And in Saving Face, that movie I had talked about, I had played a ballet dancer, so I had lost a lot of weight for it. And when I naturally gained the weight back, I was getting criticized by it. Not by producers or directors or even my managers at the time, but um, by fans and family Mm. and friends. So... To me, like my personal life felt very unstable. And that was probably the beginning of four or five years of, I mean, in New York, I had also really struggled with my eating disorder as well. But in LA, I thought it was going to fix it when I had moved and it didn't, it made it worse. Wow. So let's just go ahead and dive into that since we're kind of in that vein. When I I wanted to talk about this anyway, obviously it's a big part of my show and something I, I want to bring up in your stories. So fascinating. So with that, let's go back a little bit from there. Was body image and food something that you struggled with when you were a child, what was the food landscape like when you were growing up and then into high school and college? Just touch on that. And then I want to get to kind of the other side of the eating disorder and what you did to heal and, and kind of bringing us up to the present now. So it's kind of a huge question, but we'll get through <laughs> it together. <laughs> we will. I think we will. We got this. Um, I grew up a very skinny child, just very naturally skinny. And so I, I've actually been a binge, I'd been a binge eater my whole life. It just didn't show up in my body as mm-hmm. a kid. So for me being so skinny and actually teased for being skinny and called like a skeleton and always, you know, the one, I don't know if you did the parachute thing in, in high school, in, in elementary school where they put like someone in the middle of a parachute and lift you up. 
Anyway, oh. they put the person who weighs the least in the middle, and yeah. every year it was me. And I was embarrassed by it. And so I would use food as a coping mechanism, and all, but also as a way to show people, hey, look at me. I can eat actually a lot of food, and I'm, it's, it, aren't you impressed by the amount of food I can eat? And it was also something where, you know, being around my family, just any Asian family, it just revolves around food. I think any family does, yeah. not just Asian family. But like yeah. there there was this inability and still is this inability to talk about anything other than the food that's in front yeah. of you. There's no like talking about movies or culture totally. or how you're doing. It's all about the food. Yeah, and so I relate to that so much with the family stuff. Yeah. So like that was what it was like growing up. And then when I went to college and I had said I was a woman studies major, um, I had gained the freshman 15 or 20 or maybe even 30. And uh, I was a woman studies major and I learned about eating disorders. At the time, people weren't focused on binge eating. They were mainly focused on bulimia and anorexia. So when I was studying it, I remember thinking to myself, well, thank God I don't have those things. In fact, I have a very hearty appetite. I'm the opposite of anorexic. And when I would go home and my family would say to me, uh-oh, watch out. You're gaining weight. You're getting fat. I would fight back with, don't give me an eating disorder. And then, you know, shovel food down my throat to like spite them almost mm -hmm. like, I'll show you, you're not going to give me an eating disorder, not knowing full well that I was binge eating and overeating emotionally. And um, it wasn't really until um, when I had graduated from, from college, um, still struggling with food, but not really, not really thinking of it as a struggle. You know, like for me, I look back at pictures of myself and I remember at the time not ever looking at myself and being like, you're fat. But I remember looking at myself and feeling uncomfortable in my body. Mm -hmm. and miserable with my life. That was the time when I was working at the school because I wasn't happy with my life. So what did I do? I just like ate all the free food that they offered at the school, like double, triple portions. And then I'd go home and get stoned and, and eat more. You know, it was not a, a productive or happy time in my life. And when I started acting, um, the weight just sort of naturally evened itself out and it really it really was not an issue for me until I got cast in the soap opera All My Children and it was almost like this idea of what a soap opera actor had to be like. It was almost like I, I knew the stereotype that soap opera actors were very skinny and um, I had a recurring role on it which meant I would be in several episodes and I felt this pressure to look like the other women on the show. I didn't want to like stand out in a, in an obvious way. Yeah. So I went on my first diet then and, um, I really hated it. And that was sort of like the beginning of this cycle of binging and never over exercising cause I hated exercising, but over dieting. Yeah. And, and it was when, when, at the end of the soap opera is when I got Saving Face, and that's when things really, really took a turn. 
So before we continue there, I have a couple things um, that I want to pick up on from from what you said. So it's interesting. First of all, I relate so much to what you were saying about learning about anorexia and feeling like, oh, yeah, that'll never be in me. I could never do that. I remember, did you have D.A.R.E. when you were a kid and when you were in yes. like – yeah, I remember like in D.A.R.E. learning about self-esteem and anorexia and being like, you know, they show like the girl who's looking in the mirror and she sees this like huge image of herself and she's really, really like super underweight. And I remember like when I was in my eating disorder, it wasn't quite like that because I knew I was thin, but I, I didn't like look in the mirror and see something different. I'm sure there's body dysmorphia you know, bleeding through that. But I remember thinking, like, at the time when I learned about it, oh, that could never be me. And then it's so interesting how even, like, with when it comes to awareness for eating disorders, it's – I'm wondering how productive it is to, like, learn about them without experiencing it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I saw – watch out for that, but it still happened years later. And you saw it in women's studies, and then it happened to you, you know? So it's like – I'm just question. I'm just like processing this. This is like a new thought I'm having right now. Like, I wonder how effective preventative awareness in that way is. I feel like I. I think what really helped me shift out of it, and I learned this after I had been really, really in it, was getting angry. Like getting angry from a feminist perspective about why our system is set up like this. Like how this is like a women's issue do you know what I mean like opposed yeah. to just being like this is a mental health thing that can happen to people watch out you know yeah yeah and you know I remember specifically like I never was bulimic but definitely like I tried to be almost it was almost like I knew what the eating disorders were and when Damn. I was so desperate to stop the binge eating um by like anorexia I I understood bulimia. I couldn't bring myself there. Yeah. And I remember like sitting over a toilet being like trying to get myself to throw up and not being able to and just being like, what, what is this? Like, I know, I know about this because I studied it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's kind like, of one of those things they say crazy. like with burglars, right? Like you don't want to teach them talk about like crimes too much because then it gives people ideas. Right. <laughs> but I, I did the same thing. It sounds like our brand of, of eating disorders were very similar in the way that, like, I was never an overexerciser because I just don't like exercising that much. And yeah. then I was never good at being bulimic, although I, you know, A for effort there, but just didn't stick. But, you know, man, could I have the discipline to sit on my hands with food, you know, and um, really be this disciplined dieter so it's it's interesting that you know it manifests in such different ways for different people um but and and we, we can kind of like circle back to some of the family stuff I thought was was really fascinating but I guess let's let's shift now into the where so you said that after being on um all my children and and I totally relate to that sense too and I think as an actor and in the industry I think your industry, I mean, all of this must be so heightened because it is such a physical career. However, 
when you were saying that about wanting to not stand out and wanting to fit in with the people you were surrounding yourself with, in, in my life and in my work and, and the people that I surround myself with, I notice that, that same thing. And even ne- not necessarily with colleagues or people you're working with, with friends that I'll notice that like if I'm hanging out with a bunch of girls, women who are um, smaller or smaller than me or my size or smaller or, or bigger, it affects the way that I want to look and be perceived and how I feel about myself. And now, you know, I've, I've come to a point where I am aware of that and I have like been shifting out of that. But I think it's really common and I think it's really great that you shared that because I think it's something that we should be aware of. Is that something Absolutely. that that yeah. you've still, like, after that experience? Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, you were just saying that, and it just dawned on me that I don't think that way anymore. Mm. Like, that I don't I, – I remember comparing myself to everyone, not just actors, but, like, everyone. Every, every woman or man or person, like, just staring at their body and, and feeling like, how do they do it? How do they have a flat stomach? How do they fit into the same pants week after week and still eat hamburgers? Like, how is this possible? I just remember obsessing over it and and feeling like every a- other actor must be going through this. Must be. And I have to say that in the last seven or so years that I've been in, I guess, been recovered, um, I don't, I just don't think that way. And I, I very rarely, I very rarely, first of all, I don't compare my body to other, other people's bodies in general anymore. I just, I had to stop that and it took effort, but it worked and I don't do it anymore. But I just, I, I don't even think of my own body when it comes to like going in for fittings and whatnot. I I don't, I don't stress out about it. And if and and now that I I think that way, I feel like everyone feels that way. All other actors must feel this way too, which is why I talk to them so often on my podcast because I want to know what's going on in their brains also. And very rarely do I find the stereotype of an actor who's like dieting all the time. Like it's very rare. And That's in the great. past I wouldn't have believed it. But now that I'm one of those actors also, I don't see why it's not possible. Mm-hmm. That's so inspiring and cool, and I love that. Let's. Keep, I want to keep the thread going a little bit. You were saying that with when you got Saving Faith, it really kind of exacerbated things, and things got worse a little bit. But I really want to know from there. You know, how did you get to this place you were just describing right now with? Um, you know, being in this really healthy, recovered space, you know, I'm obviously time is something that helped, I'm sure. But what are some other things that happened from then until now? Well, I had been in therapy for a long time with, um, with two different eating disorder specialists. And, you know, so many years were spent just like talking about everything revolving around food and my fear of food or my overindulgence of food, just it, all my sessions revolved around food and my whole life revolved around what I ate and how I felt about what I had just eaten. And 
I have to say that it wasn't until I was trying to get pregnant that things really shifted for me because I didn't want to be one of those women who used pregnancy as an excuse to eat whatever I wanted and have like a free pass. I wanted to get myself there first. I didn't want to have like those issues and I didn't want to resent my body for changing uh, during during pregnancy. So I, um, when I was trying to get pregnant, I was sort of like, okay, so if I'm going to um, stop binge eating, I need to like let things be, I don't, I need to stop thinking of foods as off limit. I, I have to like start allowing cookies into my pantry. Uh, but at the same time, if like I had this idealized version of how I was going to eat and <laughs> I guess it looked a lot like what was in, um, you know, like those like self magazine day, a day of a lean protein and a, right. <laughs> and a vegetable. Like I thought it was going to look like that, but with the allowance of what I perceived as like a normal life, which was a pantry that was filled with cookies, as I mentioned, but also like a beer here and there or coffee here and there. And I soon discovered that I, in my very free like time period, I also discovered that I couldn't be, I didn't want to be drinking coffee anymore because I had been using it as like a way to stop myself from eating at times as like an appetite suppressant. And I didn't, naturally want alcohol anymore because in my mind it was it was extra calories still like even though I wasn't dieting there was still like a part of me that was like we need to have some sort of rules here so I basically cut out caffeine and um and alcohol but everything else was off limits and initially, I gained about... You mean everything else was on limits? On limits, yeah. That's what I mean. Everything else was on. And I, I stocked my cupboards with everything I had ever wanted. Things I used to like binge on all the time. Yes. And I gained about 20 to 30 pounds like right away. And it was the most difficult time of my life because... Everyone knew I was trying to get pregnant and everyone thought I was mm. because I had gained so much weight. So I was getting I was getting like emails from women who were like, I know your secret. And I was like, what <laughs> secret? Mm. And um, how long ago was this? This was about this is about seven, uh, six, six or seven years ago. Okay. And for me, um, I I had to consciously tell myself, listen, you are not any better, quote unquote better, at a size zero than you are at a size 14. You are the same person, so no matter what, we're just gonna accept whatever size you may be and just let your body go where it's gonna go because you're probably gonna get pregnant and it's gonna go <laughs> to other places. Mm -hmm. So let's just take the focus off of that. At the same time, um, I was also not, um, 
uh, my my manager at the time and my agent at the time both dropped me. And so instead of jumping right back into acting, which I knew I could have done, I decided to take the year off. And that's when I started blogging. Cool. So, so those things all together, I think, really helped me form this new relationship with food. That's amazing. And so bringing us up to the present, from there, what has changed about how you eat now? Is it is it still pretty much the same? What is kind of what are your routines around food if you have any now? What is your like philosophy around food? Is it, is it still really in that same space of everything's legalized and kind of just bring us up to the present there with food and and body image now? Everything is legalized, but I have to say I'm still pretty regimented just because my 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 food diet is different now because I'm actually eating on camera for a living. So because of that, it's changed my relationship to food in that it doesn't really excite me in the same way it did before. Mm -hmm. um, food has now become work for me. So when I, I know that the video that I'm going to do is most likely not going to involve kale <laughs> or or uh, lean protein. You know, it's going to usually involve lots of sugar and butter and things that do excite me, but I know how they feel in my body. And therefore, I don't really want to be eating it all the time. So when I do have a food shoot, I sort of plan around it. It's almost like Thanksgiving mm -hmm. for me in that like I know there's going to be very heavy foods and a lot of it and I want to be able to in that moment when we're filming um, enjoy it for what it is like and I really can't get there unless I've been sort of balancing it out by go by by going the other not I wouldn't even say I'm going the other direction but like I just I'm, I'm very mindful now of like a spoonful here everything is in moderation in a mm -hmm. way that it it wasn't quite before because because um, I'm not again I'm not in control when I'm when I'm shooting something inevitably always we have to do another take or the chef will bring something else out or we got to make it look nice so we add more oil or more powdered sugar on top you know and all those things add up and in my mind yeah I'm still like I still have I still struggle with body image sometimes um it definitely is something that still um I'm not gonna lie and say like that that when I then when my pants feel too tight that I don't um, it's not that I freak out but that I that I don't um, have a moment where it's a little difficult for me but mm. but I have but I have found that these moments come and they almost always go and I always get over it and it's fine and I don't freak out about it anymore but I do deal with it I don't yeah. just sort of like be like, fuck it, and let's just keep going down this rabbit hole. I just, I do rein it in a bit. Yeah. So how do you deal with it? How do you deal with it physically and emotionally? I, I want to get 
I'll keep the thread going. I'll get us back to talking a bit more about your work later. But this is a natural transition to the question that I ask everyone that comes on the show, which is about body image. It's something that we always discuss here, and, and you just brought it up so beautifully and, and shared so vulnerably, which I think is really important. Um, and so, so yeah, so when those those moments come up, um, how how do you handle them like I said both both physically and emotionally I know you had the amazing Sandra O oh on your podcast and I, I listened to it recently and she said something that just really stuck with me about how when those voices kind of come up in your mind comparing yourself to another person or your past self or whatever it may be she like named the voice Pamela and she was like yes. oh it's Pam comparing my outfit to that other ladies or whatever it is and like moves on and, and so do you have something like that that you do mentally and and then what do you do you know physically with with food or, or exercise or whatever what what's kind of your strategy there for managing that yeah I mean I don't go as far as, as naming it but I do acknowledge it I definitely acknowledge it, and I will. Um, you, uh, first, the first person who knows about it is my husband, because he's the one who eats with me all the time, and he's gotten really good at just like being completely non-judgmental about anything, whether it is he thinks like I'm eating too much or he thinks I'm eating too little, because I think he just trusts that I know what I'm doing, mm -hmm. and he's going to trust that. And I'm going to, in him doing that, it makes me trust myself. So cool. when really I'm cool. like, all I have to say to him really is like, babe, my pants are tight. I, want, I, I don't want them to be tight next week. And he gets it. Like he, he will, so in that sense, he'll be like, so where do you want to go for dinner? What do you want to be eating? What should we have? Like, what That's should great. we stock up on in the house because of that? And um, yeah, it is It is really, really nice that he just like, I just never have to worry about that piece. And in general, like, he's got my back when we're yeah. like out in public too. And people are like, does anyone want dessert? And I, it's not like I, I struggle with that at all, but like, he'll just like s sort of stick up for me. If like, people are like, Lynn, aren't you gonna have a bite? And I say, no, he's just like got my back. He's just there and he's got my back. He doesn't like put additional pressure on yeah, me. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Wow. Or he doesn't he doesn't give me like a look if I like end up taking a spoonful or right. eat the entire thing also. Oh I just that that is so amazing and that's so beautiful and unfortunately I think really rare or can be rare and I think so crucial for people like us who have struggled with this and this has been like our biggest struggle um yeah it's it that just sounds so wonderful and amazing so I want to talk a little bit more about that since you brought it up your relationship with him so it sounds like because I know you guys have been together for a really long time yeah you he's been around for like all of this then so he's seen the all of the ups and downs of this yes we've been together in 19 years oh my goodness yeah and That's so cool he um you know, it, to get to this place, it took a lot of work because that didn't come naturally. Even though both of his parents are therapists, he just naturally wanted to fix the situation. 
when I was struggling. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think like anybody would want to do for their partner. Like he just was constantly like, okay, so what can I do? You want me to like keep food out of the house? I'll do it. You want me to like rub your back? If you, if I feel like you're eating too much, I'll do it. You like, Abe, why did I eat this? Why did you let me do this? That, that came up a lot. And in letting me just take care of myself was probably like the biggest thing, you know, and, and him doing that. And then in turn, me starting, um, thick dumpling skin, my other blog, which is a body image blog. Um, in starting that, it, it changed my relationship with my parents as well. And my fam, my whole family in that they just, they just sort of leave me alone. Now they don't leave each other alone. That said, like Mm -hmm. the conversation is still going on. Oh, eat this. Oh, you're not eating enough. Oh, you got, you gained some weight. Oh, you lost too much weight. Like that, that still comes up around everyone else, but nobody does it to me anymore because they know better. And, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, but I still feel like, you know, with the language that still exists around it, I, I sort of, I know like the society we live in, I know it's not going to go away. So I'm just glad that I've created a space that I feel comfortable with and that I feel like I feel strong enough to say to complete strangers like no, mm-hmm. which was always so difficult for me in the past. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. All of this I, I relate to so much um, and it's just such a great conversation and thing to talk about. I think you know, with the family stuff, I've kind of, you know, just hearing you, I was thinking about my own relationship and I've done the same thing a bit where, like you said, they still do it to each other, but they know since I, you know, am like emoting about my stuff all over the internet, they kind of know to just like, okay, I think she's okay. We're gonna, we're gonna leave her alone. And because of my eating disorder and because of me, like, making these choices to really differentiate myself from my family through food and what I chose to eat, it, I think it allows me to come back to those family dinners and family, you know, time in a, in a very new way that's a very, um, not, not necessarily controlled, but it, it's my choice. It's, it's me in the driver's seat instead of me just like completely dictating my plate in this like really malleable way of like whatever you're gonna put on it I'm gonna do it whatever however much you tell me to eat I'm gonna do it and I watch them do that with each other but like I've removed myself from that conversation um in this way that at the time was more leaning a little bit too restrictive and and not not healthy but but now I think is healthy and I think is my way of you know, taking care of myself. And I just think you articulated that so beautifully. And it's great that you have that non-judgment of your plate and of your body with your partner. And I just think that speaks to the strength of your relationship and how great you guys are communicating with each other. So it's just, thank you for sharing all that. It's really cool. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So I guess with that there's so many ways so many things I want to talk about oh my gosh the time is flying by um but I I want to talk more about your work I really want to talk about thick dumpling skin because I think it's fascinating and really cool and really awesome and 
really great to listen to the podcast, but I first want to talk a little bit about the actor's diet because that came first. So you were saying, you know, at the time, that year you had off when you were really struggling, you decided to start the actor's diet. Do you remember when the idea came to you? Can you take us back to that and what it was like to start that and just kind of what that experience was like for you and and what it's grown into becoming now? Yeah, I mean, the actor's diet started because I had been reading other food blogs at the time. My favorite one, um, and still to this day, is was Kath Eats Real Food. And Kath showed everything she ate in a day, every single day, and including portion sizes. And for me, as somebody who had been binge eating and didn't know how much would satiate me, um, I was using that sort of as a guide to help me sort of get my body back into tune back in tune with itself so I knew that her blog was so helpful for me and I figured well why don't I start a blog too um, during this year off and see if it maybe will help others it was also like kind of like a social experiment to see oh if somebody who is an actor who makes their living off of the way they look if they can like not care about the way they look then can't we all I mean that was my hope my hope was that the answer was yes. <laughs> we yeah. can we can all not care about this. And I did it with my friend Christy Myers, who was is still a um, holistic nutritional counselor. And both she and I were just sort of um, sharing our daily diet at the time, and it was like a great way to just you know collaborate with her on something and and talk to her every day. And pretty quickly, it became apparent that I was obsessed with this format, and she was like, "This is work, <laughs> and I don't really feel like doing it." So after the first year, she was like, "See you later," but I wanted to stay with it, and um, I also knew that at the time that I wanted to explore other actors diets just because I wanted to pick their brain sort of and see what was going on but it 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 felt like it was um a little it was difficult to get in touch with other actors and have them open up about it so I just went whole hog on myself and shared everything I I used to post twice a day everything I, I ate and how much of it I was eating and it it really really helped me um, forge this new relationship with food and be excited about it and be obsessed with it, but in a way that I felt was controlled. And, and that way it also held me accountable in that like if you saw that I was going someplace where um, I'd be eating a lot of quote-unquote heavier foods, you'd see the next day that it was balanced out with lighter foods. And for me, it was a way to show my family who never really asks about how I'm doing that I'm okay, like mm-hmm. that they didn't need to worry about me. So um, so I did that for a while and, and it was really a, um, for me, it was a real community and it was a real outlet and a great way to stay creative and, and be in touch with people. Um, but, you know, the blogging world has changed a lot in the last uh, six or seven years and you know the the audience has changed and it's shifted a lot more to social media and Instagram and Twitter and whatnot and so I I mainly do the blog because it's something I built but it's it's changed for me it's mm-hmm. definitely changed um, how how I access it and you know that's part of it is because 
um, the audience reach, I feel like, is not the same as it used to be. But also, just because, um, you know, you, I, as with anything, you get you get bored with it. And I find that creating videos now is something that does excite me. You're so and good at video. Thank you so much. You're so amazing. I, um, Your I, vlogs are, I, really I mean, love it. they're so good. Like, I binge, speaking of binges, <laughs> I went on the biggest binge of all your video content today and like, I know I'm like with you IRL kind of right now over Skype, but I'm like excited for later when I can watch more of your vlogs. Like, I feel oh, like I just like, you. yeah, I, they're so, you're so, I've started vlogging. I don't know if I told you that, Lynn, but I, I should have vlogged with you in LA. It was my, my, I did the first one when I was in New York and then the second one when I was in LA. But I think I was, like, meeting you for the first time, so I was, like, nervous to, like, take out my vlogging camera too much. But next time we hang out, we can, like... We're totally vlogging. Vlog. Yeah. We Snapchatted. I remember that. I think yes. that is maybe in the LA vlog. Anyway, I'll send it to you. But I was just thinking that you are so good at, like, remembering to vlog and, like, the way you, like, get out your camera and then... Oh, it just... You're so good at it. So, and the way you speak to the camera is so good. But it's really cool to hear about the inception of The Actor's Diet and how it kind of started as this you know, essentially a social food journal where you were accountable for sharing your food journal. And I think that that's really interesting and cool. And like, I just would be so fascinated to read that because I'm, you know, and we're very similar. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's so cool. And I relate a lot too to the, you know, when I, I started vlogging in college, which was probably around that same time um, in the mid 2000s where I kind of did the same thing. I started the blog with my my college boyfriend. We were going to, like, share it. It was kind of the same thing. He was, like, not as into it, where I was really into it and, like, sharing all the things that I was into and that I did. And then um, it kind of transitioned into me talking about other people that I was into and wanted to pick their brain. And so it became a podcast, you know, which is still what I have now, which has had many iterations. But um, so going to that part of the the blog what is it now do you still um share your food on there and you're not in the same way as much but is it more about other people and about interviews and and now you have the actor's diet podcast can you talk about you know where it is now and how it transitioned yeah. Well, I started the podcast mainly, you know, actually, even before I was blogging, I had another podcast also with Christy, same woman. Um, it was it was called Actors Off, and it was about what actors do when they are not working, uh, just because it was something that I'd always been asked on a red carpet, and it always made me feel uncomfortable, like you were a huge loser if you didn't have, like, something lined up right away. Mm-hmm. And so I it was sort of like a way of normalizing this this often unemployed time that most actors have. So it I, I had already started podcasting. I love the format and I love that you can just like sort of speak your mind and not have to edit yourself and it's and it's easy. Um, so that's why I started the podcast. Honestly, I started it also because selfishly, I wanted to get to know people better. Yeah. I wanted to be able to have these conversations that with not only with with my friends, but with strangers, because it's weird to sit down with somebody and be like, tell me about your childhood. Yeah, dude. <laughs> over, it's, over toast. Isn't podcasting the best? <laughs> but yeah, you can totally do it over yeah, podcasting. It's the best. And and so yeah, I've met, I've gotten Cuts to know some, some amazing people because of that. Exactly. Like it just really, it, it really, um, I think, 
I was doing it more so for selfish reasons Me too. than anything else, just because I wanted I wanted to be having those conversations with people. Um, and I wanted like a record of it. Yeah. Also, I wanted to improve my my interview skills and to see like how many times I said um and like and then try to try to stop that a little mm-hmm. bit. But um yeah, the the reason that's that's the reason why I started it. And sometimes I'm like, oh my god, it takes so much work. Should I keep doing this? But honestly, I feel like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get to at least a hundred before reassessing. Just because videos now do take take up most of my time and they they do take up a lot of work. But um, I, I do still love podcasting just for the reason that it is so casual and you can get to know somebody so well. Yeah. I love an your hour. podcast. I love it so Thank much. Thank you. So, I've been, I can't wait to have you on it. At thanks. Some point. Yeah, I've, I've, I would love it. I, I've just been having a ball going back and listening to to the episodes because I again I feel like I found you somewhat recently, so it's nice to have such a wealth of archive of content to go back to. But I was actually going to ask you when you were talking about um, interviewing. As someone who hosts a podcast myself, obviously, what um, tips do you have about interviewing and getting people to feel comfortable enough to open up to you and anything that you can share that you've learned from doing that through the Actors Diet? I've always approached my podcasts as um, kind of like the opposite of what, what you did, which is I do no research because I want to talk to them as if we were meeting for the first time at a cocktail party. Mm-hmm. And so um, so in that, I guess it's also like a, I'm also brushing up on my social skills in that sense yeah. of like how I would be talking to some, how I would approach somebody if we had never met before. Um, I don't, I don't prepare at all, but I'm just genuinely interested in what people's relationships with food are. And so I'm lucky in that like, the focus of the podcast is so specific because everybody has a relationship with food. And some people might say, God, who cares about what brand of peanut butter I use? But I care. I'm I like, I don't think most people care about that, but I do deeply. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I love this. I mean, I could just, I could bring myself to tears about how much I love podcasting. I've met so many cool people that I've interviewed that I've, gotten to know through you know listeners but the big thing is that I honestly think it just scratches an itch for me because I'm such a curious person you know some people could call it nosy you know and (laughs) um I have a really big one so maybe that's why but yeah I mean I think you must be as well you know to really be curious about people's relationship to food to what type of peanut butter they eat you know all of that right yeah because food was my friend for so long I feel like I know it so well and I have such a deep (laughs) relationship that I'm curious what other people's relationships with those same foods are. Yeah. Because it's always and it's always different. And if it's the similar, I'm just sort of like, whoa, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I think that's so fascinating too. Maybe that's why I find talking about food and talking about people's relationships to food so fascinating is because of that that same thing that we both share with that. So so yeah. interesting. Do you have a favorite interview that you've done on the podcast? Um, you know, I really loved interviewing Abe's dad. 
Um, My husband's father, his name is David Greenwald, because he's one of the people who really sort of changed my relationship with food. Um, When I started dating Abe, I was like opened up to like this other family and their whole way of food. And their way of eating is completely different from my way of eating. Like I grew up in a Chinese American family. He grew up in a Jewish American family. So I went from like, you know, dumplings to delis. Mm -hmm. And he loves road food and really appreciates it. And I feel like so many of our vacations revolved around food. And, you know, it was really great to talk to him because he's somebody who – I feel very like like our taste in food is is very similar and he watched me sort of struggle with it and as I said you know his parents are both therapists so like they were really great about um, being a support system for me when I was really really struggling with it and I just love that like he will indulge my need to indulge (laughs) if I want to but if I don't he like just like Abe will like not make it a big deal. That's so great. I mean, he used to be somebody who, like, when I went to, like, a a deli, he'd be like, I'm sorry, you can't have a turkey sandwich. No, I'm not going to allow that. You're getting pastrami on rye with, you know, mayonnaise or mustard or whatever. You know, he was very – he used to be that way. But, you know, after everything that has happened, he just – he lets it be. And Mm. do you want to bite, Lynn? No? Okay. And it's been really great about it. But it was fun getting to know, like – his ins and outs. I had no idea he had been a picky eater when he was little. I loved hearing like the stories he told about like cooking for the kids. And it was just, it was just really a great example of somebody who I know really well and love a lot and feel like I like always have something to talk to him about. And then getting to dive even deeper with him was, was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I heard, um, I think it was Chris Hardwick had his dad on his podcast before he died and he was saying that like he was so happy that he did because it was such a brilliant conversation he was able to have a totally different conversation than he would have just if they were hanging out naturally without it being recorded and I think that that's true of anyone that you have in the podcast because I've actually been interviewing a lot of people that are my friends recently and I want to do that more because I think it just makes the podcast so much more casual and I the conversations that I I had one of my best friends from college on the podcast recently and that conversation I learned more about her than any of the other times we've we've ever hung out and it was really cool to have that special thing just because we were recording it that I got to take the lead of this conversation and and bring it to places that it might have been awkward to go just in a normal social setting Yeah, yeah yeah totally and it's really great what you said about the him just being so supportive of whatever you want to do with food that day because I know for me like with all the different things that I've done with my way of eating eating strategy I don't want to like say diet I guess but um it was since recovering from my eating disorder I had this fear that honestly just to be transparent like still comes up for me around my family where it's like okay well right now I kind of want to eat some tortilla chips but or whatever it is, right? Like, but I don't want them to be like, oh, she's eating gluten now or she's she's doing this now and like offer it to me and be like, oh, but you had it yesterday. Why don't you have the pie again today? Because you had it yesterday, but I don't want it today. And like, so I would just not have it ever to like not try to confuse them, you know? Did Do mm-hmm. you relate to what I'm saying at all? Uh, no, not anymore. Yeah. In the past, yes. Yeah. 
yeah, and so it's something that now I'm just kind of like, well, it's going to be what it's going to be, but I know it's still kind of in the back of my mind. Like, are they watching me? Are they, and then now I'm just kind of like, oh, no, they're not. I'm going to just eat whatever I'm going to eat. It's going to be different today than it was yesterday, and I don't have to worry about it, but it was definitely a lot stronger before, and I could see it dissipating. And, and honestly, like, the last holiday that I was home, it just, like, wasn't there at all, which is really cool. Like you were saying, to be like, oh... I don't think that way anymore. It's it's cool. Yeah, and you know the other thing is that even, you know, like I used to care so much about what my friends and family thought. Um, you know, they don't say it to my face and and I don't think they're talking about me behind my back, but even if they were, I just really don't care anymore just because I know I'm okay. Yeah. And that's really that's really all that matters. I, I you know, if they think it's sad, that I'm eating a certain way or if it's not really the best way to for me to be eating it doesn't really concern me anymore because I just know from all the struggle that I've been through that whenever you're going through something with your own body like nobody else can go through it but yourself so I have to make that decision for myself and I can't allow other people's opinion to to make me act in any other way than how I want to be acting. Preach. That was so well articulated and oh my gosh, I love that. I want to like record that and play it for me every morning. Okay. (laughs) Well, I guess I am recording it, so I guess I just have to play it every morning. That was so great. I love how you said that. So before we get into the questions I ask everyone, the quick fire questions, well, some of them are unique. Anyway, we'll get there. But one other thing I want uh, you to tell us about and I want to talk about a little bit is thick dumpling skin. So I know that that came after the actor's diet. And can you tell me about how the idea for that came up and how you met your collaborator on that and and what it is and, and what you're working on now with it? Thick dumpling skin came up because I had had so many responses to all the eating disorder stories or writings that I had been putting up on the actor's diet. And a lot of it was coming from other Asian Americans who could really relate to this feeling of being around family um, and of this expectation of being an Asian ideal, which, you know, especially for Asian women, we have so few representations of ourselves in the media. And so when we do, it's just really one type. And not a lot of us felt like we could fit into it. And um, so when when that was coming up a lot, um, I at around the same time, I had been already been looking for a, a place to sort of put the eating disorder writing because it felt like it was too jostling. Like one day I'd be like, gonna eat so many cupcakes. And the next day being like, here's how I feel about cupcakes, really. Mm-hmm. You know? So I just like felt like it was like just really disjointed. And um I was listening to NPR and I heard this article, I mean, this 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 interview with Lisa Lee, uh, who was talking about how she had gone to a quote-unquote fat camp in Taiwan and how normalized it was and her relationship with um, food and, and culture. And the second I heard it, I was like, this woman gets me. Um, I need to find her. I went on Facebook. We had like 40 friends in common. I went to the guy at the top. He introduced us. And before I knew it, I'd like written her this long email that was like, oh my God, Lisa Lee, let's get together. Let's like talk about, let's talk about forming something. Should we make a movie? Should we make a 
book? Should we make a site? What should we do? Should we start a social experiment? And she wrote me back and was like, oh my God, Lynn Chen, I love saving face. Yeah, let's do something. What should we do? And we realized the quickest thing to do would be to make a blog. And uh, just Thick Tumping Skin came, the the name came up pretty quickly. And we launched and... Thanks. I'm pretty proud of it too. I think my husband's actually the one who came up with it. And um good job, yeah, Abe. It, it just Yeah, good job, Abe. And we just um we just God, I feel like five years we just passed. And we do a lot of speaking now. Um we still have people writing into their sharing their stories. It's more like of a community hub that we both curate and the the thing that is the most frustrating about Thick Dumpling Skin, despite all of the years of attention we've got, I'm now a ambassador for the National Eating Disorders Association because of Thick Dumpling Skin and the Actors Diet. And, um, at, you know, when we started it, there was nothing in terms of Asian Americans and eating disorders. And I had been hoping that we would open up this portal to this world that would shed light on the fact that there are Asian Americans with eating disorders and that we specifically need help. Um, There really hasn't been anything other than us. Mm -hmm. And there really haven't been studies and there really haven't been resources. And, you know, despite being on NPR numerous times, despite being featured by Marie Claire and Cosmo and all these other outlets that shine a light on us, there's still so little when it comes to actually really like forming something that will be a lasting um, source of help. Like I know that we're, our existence helps people, but I, I want an actual resource. Mm-hmm. And and that, I don't know how to make that happen, to be honest. Uh, we're it, like, we're running on our very little free time now, you know, like it's it's difficult. We've, we, we don't, it's just me and Lisa basically. So. It's it's something that like um, I don't know I, I I wish I wish there was we we've tried to partner with other organizations in the past but it's been it's been very difficult and I mean I would love to try to f- place thick dumpling skin eventually in the hands of somebody very capable of an organization that will like leave it in a place where it can grow because I don't think I, I honestly don't think that Lisa or I are the are the people to do that just because. Our expertise doesn't lie in that, um, especially because neither of us are doctors or eating disorder specialists. But um, I don't know. I don't. I, in the meantime, we don't let it go just because because we're there. Yeah. <laughs> and we're the only ones there, and we can't seem to. We we don't feel comfortable letting it die with us. Yeah, yeah. It's so important the work that you guys are doing. And we know it is. We know that it's important. I just wish that we could find, like, something tangible to really help people. Well, if anyone's listening, you heard it here. Um, (laughs) Yes. But I'm I'm confident that you guys are going to guide it into, you know, the best place it needs to be. So I'm just grateful that you're doing the work that you're doing. So, all right. This has been 
a great conversation, a heavy conversation, a tangential conversation, but I want to talk about kind of some more fun things and get to know you a little bit more. So this is like my favorite question to ask everyone because I'm so nosy, basically. So what are your morning routines? What are some of the first few things you do when you wake up in the morning and how does that affect how the rest of your day goes? Okay, immediately I grab my phone, which I know you're not supposed to Mm -hmm. do. (laughs) but it's what I do (laughs) I grab my phone and like actually this morning even I woke up at 545 because I'm still on east coast time a little bit because I was just in Maine and um I grabbed my phone and I was like this will wake me up (laughs) (laughs) and and I like sleepily went through my um my different social media accounts um then I take my dog for a walk into um the area called Larchmont Village and um, we usually pick up a coffee for my husband and say hello to Henry, the newsstand man, mm. who gives Julius a biscuit. And then we get home and I have breakfast, which almost always is either half a melon that I eat. I just scoop out like the seeds in the middle and eat it like a bowl or yogurt or yogurt with fruit or, uh, or oatmeal. Those are like the three things that I almost always eat. I heard you say something to Jess Mernan about your oatmeal. That was so cool. How you put a scoop of ice cream in it or you were doing that at one point. Yes. It's delicious. (laughs) Everyone should do it. I know it sounds weird, but actually it's it's like, it's like cobbler. Yeah. It's like a cushy cobbler. It would be like a fun um, brunch thing to like have people over and make like oatmeal bowls with a scoop of coconut ice cream or whatever ice cream yeah yeah I used I used like a maple one at the time and it went like perfectly perfect and I just bought in my freezer right now is Jenny's ice creams makes a chocolate no no it was a peanut butter salted peanut butter with chocolate like shavings inside it's my dream flavor that would taste so good in oatmeal because I love peanut butter and oatmeal peanut butter and chocolate and oatmeal is my jam I mean peanut butter and anything is yes all I have to say (laughs) very true so I interrupted then I get on my then I get on my computer I was continuing with my Mm -hmm, my morning routine I get on my computer and I do like um whatever I finish up whatever like blog post or video or whatever I, I need to post I usually have, um, like every week I usually have like at least one or two or three auditions. Like yesterday I had three in a day. So if that ends up happening, then like I just sort of do that. And if I have an audition that's like a theatrical audition where I have to actually prep, everything kind of goes out the window. Like what would happen would be I'd wake up in the morning and immediately grab my sides, which are my like lines to memorize and just like be like see ya and I would yeah. not and like my husband would go walk my dog and I would go off on my own and be like had my head hurt buried into the script and we're doing the work for that until the audition that's sort of what happens like everything goes out the window whenever an acting job or whatever comes up and then you know especially if I'm on set for something then the routine is completely different but on a typical morning that's what happens cool very cool I know when we hung out you were auditioning for something and you had to be like a tour guide or something it was like a volcano. oh yeah yeah that's right tour oh guide? wait did I, I I wanted to tell I wanted to tell you afterwards that I was um I had had a call I either had a callback or I was on a veil for it something big had happened after that and I was oh, like oh really? I should tell her she's like my good luck charm I didn't end up booking it oh yay oh, but darn I want to uh, be, I wanna good be your happened. good luck charm so we can <laughs> hang, it forces you to have to hang out with me more <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
That's amazing. So, okay, what about the evening routines, the last few things you do at the end of the day and how you kind of wind down? What are the last few things you do before bed? Um, again, my phone is by my side. Mm-hmm. But um, we're lately, all addicts. We're addicts. Yeah, we're all addicts. It's fine. I, I still sleep pretty well, I must yeah. say. Until I stop being able to sleep, it's the phone's really? still going to be by Me my too. side. Um, my husband and I have been reading from Padma Lakshmi's memoir to each other lately. And it's been a while so now cool. because that you guys book, are reading. That's like really cool. Go on. Yeah. He bought it because, you know, she had had struggles with food also, and she has a career in food as well. And it was, you know, a lot of it had to do with like this, you know, she was a model. So she. Wait, what is the, what is the memoir? Sorry, I didn't hear it. It's Padma Lakshmi, who, um, who is the the host of Top. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. She's so so cool. She is so cool. And so it's a lot of, um, we're like only halfway through because what happens is that one of us will read to the other and then like three pages and we'll be like, you asleep? You asleep? You asleep? And then we'll, then, then, then we go to sleep. But you know, every night before I go to sleep, I try to think as I'm falling asleep, I try to think of what I'm grateful for that day. But lately it's just been like, I list off two things, which are my husband, my dog, and then I'm asleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even like go past that because I'm already in bed. That's so sweet. I was so I love that I didn't even like hear what book you said because I was so loving the idea that you guys were like reading aloud to each other. That's like my yeah. favorite thing ever. I mean, I have Audible for that, but it would really be great if like I had a boyfriend do it too. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Um, so how do you deal with stress? Do you meditate? Do you still go to therapy? What are some of your self-care routines? I get a massage once a month at least. Although my last massage that I had, it had been a while since I had gotten one. Saw that one. in your vlog. I'm such a yes. stalker. <laughs> but, I, but I love getting a massage. It's like something I look forward to every single month that I just do for myself as sort of self-care. Um, I take a walk every day, as I said. Um, and usually like when I'm like really stressed, I'll take, sometimes I'll take two walks. Um, I love going to the movies. Mm. It's like probably my favorite thing in the world to do is going to the Arclight movie theater, which is near me. It's the nicest theater in the world. I could see anything there and be happy. Um, Let's go to a movie when I come <laughs> and a <yeah>. walk <laughs> and massages. It sounds like amazing. massages. <laughs> and squirrel. Um, I've never, ever, ever gotten ice cream and not felt better afterwards. <laughs> never. Um, yeah, those are and 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 I journal, which uh, I know you know, but um, not not as often as I used to. Like I used to journal religiously, but now I when I, I save it for um, for the times when I really need to yeah. just like get my thoughts out. I call that SOS journaling. So there's like preventative journaling and then there's like people who, and I'm like you, who wait until we're like pregnant with an experience or an emotion that we need to like process and then write about that. Yes. That's so cool. I I was going to ask about journaling. So that's, that's really cool. So, okay. These ones are a little bit quicker. So just, you can say the first thing that comes to your mind today. So what's your favorite color? Blue. Favorite day of the week. Friday. Favorite hour of the day? Three. Best part of your day today so far? Talking to you. Aww. Truth. It's amazing. 
What is the best thing you've eaten in the last week? That chocolate, the peanut butter thing. Oh, from Jenny's. <laughs> that, that, that ice cream, yeah. Did you know My Jenny's? My friend told me on – what was that? Did you know Jenny's is from the Midwest? I did. I actually just met her the other day, so and cool. she is incredible. But um, my I, I Snapchatted myself eating it last night, mm-hmm. and my friend uh, Lily from Kale and Caramel, an amazing site, she was like, "You just totally made out with that ice cream." Because I like put it in my mouth, and then I couldn't like take the spoon out because I couldn't believe how good it tasted. Oh my gosh! I hope that Snapchat is still up. I'm gonna go watch it after this. <laughs> yeah, I think That's it might amazing. be. What's your? Well, I guess you kind of. You can't say the Jenny's ice cream. What's your favorite food right now and of all time? Other oh, than the Jenny's ice cream. <laughs> um, God, I do love ice cream. But uh, I probably have to say this Chinese thing called zongzi, which is like a sticky glutinous rice that they wrap in leaves. And it like is usually filled with pork or something sweet. So you can have it salty or sweet. It's like... It's like rice that's like packed with flavor. It makes me so happy whenever I eat it. Whenever I see it, I get so excited. That sounds delicious. You spell it Z-O-N-G-Z-I if anyone wants to look it up. Oh, yum. Cool. I do. If you had a daily uniform, what would it be and why? Oh, my God. It's still my daily uniform. (laughs) I feel like I've been wearing the same uniform since I was like 12 years old. Um, it's a navy blue hoodie and I've had different iterations of it over the years. The one I have right now is like a, probably a juicy couture one that was like left over from like a sweatsuit set. Uh-huh. <laughs> juicy couture set sets. Um, oh my it's gosh, like those that sets. navy blue hoodie with, um, a, um, white t-shirt underneath and blue jeans. Cool. So that sounds like so comfortable, but cute. So you're having a dinner party and you can invite five people who do you invite? What do you cook slash pick up, make, whatever? And what do you hope someone turns at the table and asks you about? And what do you hope no one asks you about that you just don't feel like talking about at your party? Oh, boy. Okay. We might have to – I might have to yeah, ask. Yeah, I'll walk you through it. Again. Okay. Um, Oprah, Nigella Lawson, Barack Obama, and Michelle. And then I guess my husband. Cool. So he could be Sounds there. Sounds like a great group. I think what so. What are you guys I eating? Think... <laughs> um, we are eating zongzi. Yes. <laughs> which I buy, most definitely. Um, probably, yeah, like a di- like a dim sum dinner of some sort. And it would have zongzi on it and dump- many, many dumplings of all shapes and sizes. And like um, I-, I would make the dessert because I don't really love Chinese desserts. Um, my dessert would be, I make these blondies, um, that Mm. have a layer of jam on top and then I stud the top with, um, honey roasted peanuts so that when you eat it, it tastes like peanut butter and jelly, but with like crunchy. I could go. That sounds so good. It is so good, and, and it looks beautiful, too, and not a lot of people do this. Um, I just did it because I was lazy one time and was like, I want to have jam and peanuts on top yeah. of my bread blondies. Um, but it bakes in beautifully when you bake it in on top of the batter, and um, I should go one step further and make those blondies, peanut butter blondies. Ooh, yum. What are the other questions? can't go wrong with peanut butter. What do you hope that they turn and ask you about at the table, and what do you hope no one asks you about that you don't want to talk about? Um, 
I hope that they ask me about. Uh, ooh, I don't know what I hope they ask me about. I, I, I it's so hard because I feel like I'm such an open book mm-hmm. when it comes to everything. There's really nothing. I guess what I wouldn't want to talk about is, uh, God, I don't even know. I always say for that politics. one, yeah, politics, and that would be really hard around you know Barack right. and Michelle. But I'm I'm really not very eloquent when it comes to politics because I don't really. It's it's I, I it's actually a weakness of mine in that like I have a really difficult time remembering um, dates and history and just important things like that. Like I don't have a strength for that. Um, so, so I usually remain very silent when it comes to anything political. Um, but I guess I would like them to talk to me about, um, like what we talk about on the podcast, which Mm -hmm. is like our history with food and, um, our relationship to it. I would love to know. I mean, I think we all know Oprah has had food problems in the past, but, and, and, you know, I think. Barack Obama must have, you know, like he he had like a cigarette addiction, which I used to have also. And um, yeah, I just like feel like people who have addictive personalities, like there's something. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Talk about that. Yeah, I think if you if that ever happens, you have to promise me that I can either like be your sixth alternate or like you'll record it. As a podcast. Okay. Yes, for sure. <laughs> okay, so you're trapped on a deserted island, and you can take with you one food, one book, one movie, one TV show, and one person. Go. Oh, my God. This is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Okay. One food would be... Why are bananas coming into my head? I just They'll like... probably be there, so you might want to go to a different one. <laughs> Uh, and then my mind goes to pudding, uh, mm-hmm. even though I don't want banana pudding. Um, probably peanut butter. Actually. Oh yeah, because you put that on those yeah. bananas. Yeah, exactly. I could, I could live off that for years and be yeah. super happy. <laughs> yeah. So so crunchy, crunchy peanut butter. Um, what is the one food? One book. Mm-hmm. One book would be um, "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret." Cool. One of my favorites by Judy Bloom. Uh, one movie uh, would probably be The Karate Kid gets me every single time. Um, TV show? TV show would be Felicity. Oh, <laughs> I things it's from, the like, best. I, I love Felicity. I it's so just comforting. rewatched Felicity, and my husband watched it with me because it was my Christmas slash birthday gift. Oh, that's amazing. He regretted it three episodes in. He was like, are they going to talk about anything other than Noel and Ben? And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Not really. No, four, more series, four more seasons to go. Sorry, babe. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. I just watched it like two years ago, and I think I'm like due to rewatch now. I felt so sad when it was over. I like know. I had like graduated and left my friends. I know. But. Now I'm we're now we're watching The Americans, another Carrie Russell show, and it's it's oh, amazing yeah, in a I different. Heard that that's good. I heard that that's good. She's it's so incredible. Pretty. Yes, she's like she's an amazing actress in that. Like she was so thoroughly believable as Felicity Porter and so thoroughly believable as Elizabeth in The Americans. So yeah. I feel like um, 
yeah, she wins. I actually once sat across from her at a restaurant when she was shooting Mission Impossible. So she had um, straight hair and I wasn't positive it was her. And I had to like write on the table we were sitting at. We were sitting at this restaurant called Pache and they have crayons on the table. And mm-hmm. I wrote like upside down to my husband, is that Carrie Russell? And he wrote back, yes. But then he had to like color over the entire conversation so that when oh, she got so it. that's so funny. That's so, so ever funny. since we have a code word for whenever we see someone famous and it's because we were sitting there next to the crayons was um, olives. So whenever ah. we see someone famous, we say olives. But it, for the many times that we've seen someone famous in LA and said the word olives, almost always, I'm like, what are you talking about? What oh, are you saying? Oh, man. That's so funny. <laughs> I, okay, Simi, my best friend is definitely listening right now we're going to adopt that Simi olives because when we were in new york we saw so many famous people just like so many we whatever i'll tell you about it when we hang out but we were just she was so non-discreet at all and it was just funny we need olives really bad so thank you (laughs) so and then person would it be abe that you'd bring to the island Uh, oh yes of course yes abe Cool. So, okay, just a couple more. Do you have any, like, funny memories of auditioning or being an actor or any, like, best experiences or roles or, like, a favorite role that you played? Anything there? Um, I guess I'll share, like, a, a audition horror story. I actually shared it recently, and, and it made me realize, like, oh, man, you can get over anything. Um, I had come really close to... Um, auditioning. Oh, I, I had gotten through several rounds of auditioning for Julie Taymor's movie Across the Universe and um, cool. it was her movie about the Beatles and yeah, you know, of course everyone was buzzing about it, it. Yeah. and um, I went through the first couple rounds of auditions and it was just like everyone was just like Lynn who else is going to play this part seriously they want an Asian lesbian I just played one and they want her to be able to sing and they want her to be able to look like she's young this is you like you got this and they were really excited about me and so I went into the callback where I was going to meet Julie Taymor and um, in the waiting room with me was Anne Hathaway she was auditioning for Evan Rachel Wood's part and I was like yeah yes like this is it this is the moment this this is the moment and uh, I walked into the room at first Anne went in and like she had like she was in there forever you know like Mm -hmm. talking it up singing four songs blah 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 and she left the room, and then I walked in and sang maybe five bars of my song. And she was like, thank you. You may go. Really? What? Oh, my yeah. gosh. But, and I, like, left feeling like, oh, was that it? Really? What What did I do? What, what happened? And the feedback was apparently that I didn't do as well as I had done in the previous audition, but auditions. But I was like, what? I didn't even do anything. Like, what? Yeah. I remember thinking afterwards because I was so hurt and so like upset because I felt like that this is my chance and I blew it. Um, I remember thinking at the time, well, I'm in the same I'm in the same room as Anne Hathaway, so wherever her career goes, my career will go to will go to. And it's just been really funny for me to like think back to that moment and where I was and where I thought my career was going to go and realize it has not gone that way and it's okay. It's Aww. totally. Yeah, well, I mean, I would argue it's gone better because I really love all the content you're creating, not just through acting. And I can't say the same for Anne Hathaway, so. 
I mean, well, what like, she's what she's spending her time on other than acting? Like, I don't see her with any cool blogs or cool podcasts. Like, she needs to get it together. <laughs> to me, you're like doing laps around her. So, anyway, so gosh, so many more things I want to ask you, but it's we're like way over the time, and I don't want to keep you any longer. So, I'm gonna just like hold the rest of my questions because I want to hang out again and I want to talk to you again. So. The last thing is just for you to, it's like rapid fire of recommending stuff. So is there like a song you've been listening to recently, this, you know, in the last couple of months that's, you know, in your head that you want to recommend? Uh, you kind of already recommended a book. Is there another podcast you'd like to recommend, a movie, any kind of category? You can give a couple, just throw out anything that um, you want to recommend to people. I, um, it's funny, I feel like I listen to more podcasts than I listen to music, but since we were in Maine and we were taking a little road trip, I'm obsessed with, and this is probably not new to anyone else, but I feel so old, but when I find like a new artist to me, I get really excited because it's like been so long since I've been excited about a, a singer or a musician. Um, Casey Musgraves, do you listen to her? Mm-mm. Or know who she is? She's a, she's country. Um, but, maybe, oh, but, maybe I, I'm sure I would if I like heard a song, maybe. Yeah, she's great. Um, her, I like her latest album that she has. I can't remember the name of it because I'm, <laughs> I don't write down the name okay. of it. I, mean, I just let my, just let my Spotify play it. But it's the, totally. the latest one she has, it's got a song called "Biscuits and Gravy" on it, cool. and um, I just think she, she, her voice and her storytelling and her songwriting is just impeccable. I just think she's so great. Cool. Um, so I really like her. And as for another podcast that I love listening to, um, I really, really love, uh, I mean, I feel like this isn't like that new to everyone, but, uh, just, I think Terry Gross and oh. Fresh Air, it's not a podcast, it's like just a I show I love her NPR. so much, like I could cry, I love her so much. Whenever I, love I her ask so that much. question about the dinner party, she's always the one that, that I would, I want to be here when I grow up. <laughs> She is so great, but I would have to say that at a dinner party, you know, she's like really weird about food herself. Really? Like whenever she has, whenever she has like a food person on, she's always like, I burn my chicken. (laughs) Like she's like always like screwing food up. It'd be really interesting to see how she, how she would handle food. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she would be really cool to hang out with. I, I love that we, we can bond so much, Lynn. We both love Terry Gross. We both love massages and food, and yeah, we're just like meant to be friends. Um, Cool. Well, this was amazing. I have a bunch of more questions in my copious notes that I want to ask you, but I'm confident we're going to hang out again. So before I ask the final question, tell everyone where they can find you. I know you're on like a slew of social medias, and you have like a slew of websites, which will all be in the show notes. You don't actually need to say them, but is there anything in particular that you want to plug or promote or anything? I'll put it all in the show notes, like I said. I guess the only the main thing, I mean, you can find everything if you just went to lynchhun.com, but the main thing is that I'm trying actively to grow my YouTube channel. So it's if amazing. you are on YouTube, please subscribe. It's Lin Chen Tube. Yeah. Is the name of the channel. So good. Like I'm gonna hang up and go hang out with you more because I'm gonna like watch more YouTube videos because that's my TV. I just love watching YouTube videos so much. So this was Yay. so much fun. And I'm just so glad that you were here. Thank you so much for doing the show. Do you feel good? Did you have fun? I do. I had a lot of fun. And I really appreciate you taking the time, a lot of time, out of uh, your day. Thank you. And yeah. for and for And for just all the kind words that you've said. And 
it just is really nice to to hear, especially because, you know, I saw a lot of the times I do feel like I'm just like putting shit out there into the world and like, I'm like, is anybody out there? I so, am thank me. You. Yep. You're fangirl over here. <laughs> That's thank so you, good. Katie. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. The name of the show is Let It Out. So do you have anything within you that you still want to let out? Anything that we didn't cover? I don't think so. We covered a lot of bases. We got it all. We landed this plane. I feel good. I feel like we're going to have to talk again, but we got it all, at least for today. I should have warned you that it's a really super long-form conversation, but this was so much fun. Thank you for sticking around. Um, it's, it, was the, it was, and I was not lying when I said the best part of my day, so thank you. Aw, yay, good. All right, that was my very long conversation with the Lin Chen. Check out The Actor's Diet. Check out Thick Dumpling Skin. She is fantastic. Thank you for doing the show, Lynn. And tweet at us. Tweet at both of us. Let us know if you are still listening right now and what you thought of the podcast, what you want to hear more of. And did you like the show, Abby? It was amazing, per usual. Great. Well, it has Abby seal of approval. <laughs> Abby is starting her own podcast. Oh, God, Am I allowed to announce to that? Am I allowed to announce that? I don't know. Now it has to happen. It's happening. It's happening. Sometimes. Also, your zipper's unzipped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Your zipper's unzipped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sitting underneath my desk. <laughs> and I can see Abby's zipper's unzipped. She's my best friend. She's starting a podcast. It's going now to be amazing. I cannot wait to listen to it. Zipper's it's, unzipped. <laughs> Zippers unzipped with Abby and Katie. Okay, we have to go get dinner. I hope you liked the podcast. I hope you liked this goofy intro. Maybe you didn't like it, but you know what? You could just 15 second on through this. All right. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys next week.